Now we're going to the Northern Hemisphere with the Six Nations. Uh, two games to go in, well, I was going to say round robin, but that is all they have. And joining us now from the BBC wonderful commentator, James Burridge joins us. James, welcome in. Hello, mate. How are you? Very, very well. I guess the biggest story for us down here and hugely played was the penalty miss by the, a very unfortunate and unlucky Italian side against France. I mean, wow. I, ju- I wasn't that surprised that Italy ran them close. But, I mean, they really should have won that. I mean, they really should have won that because with the sending off, um, you know, the conditions were, were perfect for Italy and they came back into the contest. I thought it was horrendous the way it kind of ended. The ball coming off the tee, French players trying to charge a penalty which you're not allowed to charge. French team doctors kind of lurking around the sidelines. It was, it wasn't particularly attractive to watch, and I, I really felt for Italy um, because can you imagine if that kick had gone over? I mean, you think England have got problems right now? France would have even greater problems. How how much of French problems is leadership and the, the fact that Dupont's gone over to sevens? Do you think? It's a really good question um i i think obviously a lot of this is psychological isn't it and it and it's we've been talking a lot about post world cup fallout and reaction and you only have to look at the comparison between france and ireland two sides who massively we expected so much at the world cup but ultimately disappointed ireland have really found something they found an edge again a hunger a desire and they've got their swagger back it's a polar opposite for france and yes dupont obviously admits he's the standout player in world rugby but everything else that was great about france has gone with it um and for us we look at france and you're looking at a, a french defense which is not cohesive and it's not doing its job and this is a defense coached by sean edwards who's kind of re- revered in the uk he's like a demigod for defense gurus who just love watching hard pressing defense being so physical and, and so attritional that's that's gone the kind of understanding has has gone and the confidence so i talked about swagger with ireland there is no swagger in that french team right now there is questions there is there's this element of they don't almost trust each other but they came out in that first half and they were belligerent they were tough they were aggressive but that side didn't have the confidence to see that game out. And with the Dante sending off, they kind of shot themselves in the foot, which is what French sides have historically always done. Yeah, yeah. It was just, it was heartbreaking for the Italians. Gosh, and it's, it's interesting. I've watched the Six Nations documentary, uh, not expecting much. A lot of our listeners had um, watched it before I undertook to watch it and it didn't review well by our listeners, but... I came in and I said I actually quite enjoyed learning a bit about the players um, and just seeing a little bit of the insight into them. Uh, we didn't hear from many, but I quite enjoyed it. So I was a bit more invested in the Italians, especially when you see the passion and the disappointment and the ebbs and flows of that team. Can you think they can go on even though they would have been heartbroken? Is this a good result for them mentally? I think for Gonzalo Casada, this is another kind of example of what he's he's trying to do um he's trying to play a bit more pragmatic rugby 
I think under under Kieran, they wanted to try and be a bit more swashbuckling, if you like, being you know take a few more risks, play it fast and and wide, which is which is great on the eye. But if it doesn't win you matches, then it's you know the World Cup by their standards is really disappointing. Uh, it's not for the want of effort, but I think what's really interesting is how quickly Casado has managed to fight, get get this Italian side believing in each other, and the fact that Garbisi missed that penalty. Yes, it's going to be heartbreaking, but can you imagine the confidence that's done for them? Mm. Um, I also think, funnily enough, playing these games, France having to play a lot of these games around France because the Stade de France is being renovated for the Olympics. Um, and I was—I remember commentating in Lille when France played Uruguay, and they jolly nearly blew that in the World Cup as well. <laughs> so I, I wasn't that surprised because there's something about France when they're in the Stade de France, when they get a, a head of steam and momentum goes with them, they kind of bounce off the crowd and, and, and they develop this real surge and in intensity. Um, and the marriage between the way they play and the crowd is kind of completely, almost you know, it's almost symbiotic. But they've lost to Ireland in Marseille. Um, they jointly lost in Lille to Italy. They're going to play England in Lyon. Um, and that's going to be a really interesting game because you have got two sides who are really struggling for identity and confidence. Mm. Scotland, England, um, usually in those games, as a, as a true blue Southern Hemisphere, the highlight of that game is usually before the whistle blows. It's the anthems, the passion, it's the crowd. But that, that was a theatrical game as well. And we've always got an eye down here on Ethan Roots, who's really taken to his task as well. Yeah, he's been Ethan Roots is what is one of a number of young uh, players who have got real hunger. They've produced it in the Premiership and in Europe, and they're just experiencing just how cutthroat and how brutal Test rugby can be, and 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 heartbreaking Test rugby can be. You know, and he's not he's one of a number of young players that you know are, are realizing just. Just that, what that step up to international rugby is really about, and you know, England had a terrific start, but their handling errors were shocking. They could totally capitulated, mm. and it's a reminder about. I think a lot of people watching in England, and I don't think England really really know what their USP is, and they don't know what their identity is, and the attack they're trying to shift from being. You know the predictable box kicking, set piece orientated, you know playing in your opponent's twenty-two, not in your own, which worked well during the World Cup. But they're trying to evolve that, and it's really not worked. It's it, it's really not working at all at the start. And it just the the, the idea of, of English rugby being this kind of dynamic, <laughs> cut and thrust, out wide team that just England haven't got anywhere close to that uh, for quite a long time in terms of if you want to watch attractive, you know, wits-based games and, and, you know, teams which can cut a line, England haven't been able to produce that for a very, very long time. Um, And they are miles off Mm. right now. They are miles off. Before we wax lyrical about Ireland's win over Wales, which was comprehensive, I just did want to ask you about Aaron Wainwright, I am so impressed with this young man who plays for Wales. Um, how's he being received over there in the Six Nations? 
I just think Wayne Wright and actually the guy alongside him in the back row, Tommy Rafael, they have been two real bright lights in this Welsh team um, because the breakdown is always can be a pretty fabulous scrap, can't it, at the best of times. Wayne Wright was certainly to the fore when Wales launched their, their comeback against Scotland in Cardiff in that opening weekend. Mm. Um He's he's not he's not easily pushed off the ball. Neither of them are. Rafael's an absolute dog uh, when the when the ball hits the deck. He's he's over it. They're they're good jacklers. Wayne Wright's fantastic at fending off fending off defenders. Um, and I mean that goes. I mean I'd I'd be far more happy if I was a Welsh rugby fan than if I was an English one right now because because they've got they've got young they've got very young inexperienced players Wales. But you can see what they're trying to do. Whereas of England, they've actually got really good players mm. who haven't got a clue what they want to do. So you've got this hilarious kind of contrast between Wales and an England team. And in Rafael and Wainwright, you've got two players who, I mean, they could definitely be Lions tourists uh, when the tour goes to Australia because they're, they're that good and they are that well respected by everyone else. I think I'm right in saying Ireland are still life for the Grand Slam. They've got England and Scotland left. And correct me if I'm wrong, those two teams, it'll be about stopping Ireland getting a Grand Slam, even maybe potentially more than winning their own individual games. Yeah, Ireland won't... Ireland know that... I mean, they could technically win the Six Nations by beating England. Mm. And they could win it with a game to spare. That's how dominant they've been. They are they are a class apart. If you look at the Six Nations at the moment, you got Ireland leading it by a mile, Scotland kind of in a respectable second place, and then you've got the rest. Um, nobody can see England beating Ireland on current form, and what we've seen, it would be an absolute miracle if England could beat Ireland. Um, what will be interesting is that Scotland come up against Italy. You'd expect them to win that, and so the, it's that last game which I think is on Paddy's weekend in Dublin between Scotland and Ireland, will be a terrific match. But of course, Ireland blew them away in the World Cup. Mm. And it's, it's trying to overcome the nemesis of Ireland from, from a Scotland perspective. And, you know, they didn't fire a shot against Ireland in that World Cup match, in that, in that pool match. And they're going to Dublin. <laughs> it's going to be doubly hard this time. So it'll be fascinating to see how regardless of where they lie on the table, just how Scotland try and find a way to beat Ireland. Because if you look at the way Ireland are playing right now, they're just, their breakdown work is just so physical. They only chuck one or two people into the breakdown. Their defensive line is just so solid. Um, they play with real physicality and their detail. Every player in that Irish team knows their job. So even when it goes wrong, they can, you know, if let's say they can see the try, they're under the post and they're just reasserting and reminding each other what their jobs are. And you don't get that, you don't see that detail, that understanding with England, for instance, and maybe a little with Wales, but that is why Ireland is so much further ahead of everybody else. It's almost, it almost, mate, well, I am sad that there wasn't like a, a repertoire system or something like that at the World Cup because we're seeing how good Ireland are and, and, 
They got rolled in the World Cup. They are definitely one of the best teams in the world. Uh, we're talking to James Barish from the BBC out of the UK. James, before we go, um, not long ago, I used Bluetooth for my car stereo and maybe my cordless speaker at the beach, and now they've got them in mouth guards. We, ha- we had a bit of discussion on, on air yesterday about the Scott Barrett came out after the game, the Crusaders Chiefs just saying, I don't think they've got this right. My argument is, and I'm interested in the Northern Hemisphere's perspective, um, detecting concussion, if anything helps, I'm all about that, but it sort of looks like this is not quite the finished product yet. What's been the reaction to, to these mouth guards in the Northern Hemisphere? Yeah, I saw Scott's interview, uh, and it was it, it was really interesting because I think, um, funny enough, Gregor Townsend, the Scotland head coach, had a few things to say as well because uh, if you watch the match, um, they suffered the loss of their props now to Fagerson for the same reason. You know, he went off for an HIA, I think it was only about seven or eight minutes into the game, um, but was then given the all clear. And that was because of an alert, uh, which told the doctors that they had to get him off. They've had it already with with George, with, um, with George Turner as well, early on in the Six Nations. So they've had two instances, Scotland, where the technology has identified an issue or a problem from a from a collision, but actually they're not actually sure if there was one. And what it does, I mean, certainly Townsend feels that there needs to be more research. He doesn't have any, he understands why they're doing it, but there needs to be more research because can they, this was, I think many people are split on this, but it did come in in quite a rush. It wasn't tested in the club game. Uh, so it's a new thing, um, and and Scotland have now had two cases where they've lost two players um, for ten minutes, when actually they you know they didn't appear or, or seem to be an issue. So I think obviously once the Six Nations finishes, you know World Rugby and and the powers that be are going to have to take a look and just see if it's actually giving us, you know, it's absolutely essential and critical that players are looked after. I totally agree with you. And sometimes I think players need to be protected from themselves. Mm. I mean, there are a number of times I've commentated on matches where I've watched big collisions and nothing's happened. And, you, and you're like, surely at the, at the G-force that just went through that tackle, that guy's surely got to be taken off. So it's, it's a good use of, of, you get the thing, you have a feeling it's a good use of technology. But I think Certainly for Gregor Townsend, you want more research to be done. Yeah, I don't know whether you knew, but we, we had the Crusaders assistant coach on yesterday, and I think he said it was the lock um, got alerted uh, to the little Bluetooth receiver on the sideline, but it was 20 minutes after the collision, um, and, so, and they experienced a few delays in the game. And the other thing it's given rise to was Anton Leonard brown was alerted and had to go off, and there were no reserves. So they had to put the halfback onto the wing... <laughs> at a crucial end of a game, which was one score in the balance. That's that's one of the concerns. That I, I, I like the technology if it works. I think it's, yeah, you've got to trust it though, haven't you? Mm. And I think that's what Scotland is saying and Townsend is saying. And it sounds like some players in the Southern Hemisphere are also saying, everyone, everyone wants the same thing. They want the same goal. They want the players to be as safe as they possibly can. And this Bluetooth idea on paper looks a good idea because a referee can't see every collision. The TMO can't see every collision. The doctors 
you know, there are more doctors watching every tackle now, which is terrific because that wasn't the case 20 or 30 odd years ago. I think they just need to absolutely be sure. And there's bound to be mistakes with this technology when you think about it, because it hasn't, hasn't been tested in the club game and it's been brought in for the Six Nations. So I think it's absolutely imperative that the authorities get trust in this, techno in this technology as quickly as they can. And the, the whole reason of this is, um, has been illustrated by the effects of concussion to a number of former players. And so the one I wanted to ask you about was Steve Thompson, uh, the former English hooker. Where is that case at? Is that sort of stagnated? Or is that making progress? That's, I mean, that case is, is lurking in the background in all of this, isn't it? Because so many players, retired players, there's Steve Thompson, there's Alex Popham, the former Welsh player, there's many who are adding their names um, to this legal case against against World Rugby, and it's and it's still there in the background, isn't it? And World Rugby have to have to be seen. And in fairness, they have made a lot of changes to try and make the game safer. But it's a big talking point um, behind the scenes in rugby right now. It's absolutely critical that the game is safe. I thought it was really interesting. Funnily enough, Courtney Laws in a in a piece he wrote in a newspaper over here was was talking about how rugby needs to sell itself because naturally over here we've had premiership rugby clubs in, in real trouble financially and there's this big discussion about how you sell rugby to the wider public um, and Laws's argument has been, do you know what now, we, we actually have to really uh, sell rugby as a, as a collision sport. You know, there, I remember doing interviews in the past where I remember um, you know, someone saying to me that rugby was gladiatorial and, and they hated the, the use of that word because they they were worried about what it meant, the, you know, the use of that word gladiatorial. And it's interesting to see Courtney Laws coming out and saying, listen, rugby is a game of collisions and, and hits. And that's what crowds like to watch. They like to see the jeopardy, but they also like to see the, you know, the, the aggression, the size, the physicality and the risk. Um, and it was fascinating to see him write that, but also how many rugby players were kind of retweeting it, liking that post. Um, and it comes at a time when, that kind of clashes with everything that rugby is trying to do mm. to sell itself as a safe sport. Fascinating. I'm going to go and search that story out. That is fascinating. James, um, I really appreciate your time over in the UK. Last thing, can Ireland go unbeaten? Six Nations, are you expecting that? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, if Ireland can't win this, if they don't, yeah. I, I just cannot see Ireland not winning the Grand Slam. Perfect. James, appreciate your time. All the best.